Mud Stories, Episode 59. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I think for me, what God was working on when he had me pick up camp and move was to trust him that the blessings would come following it, even though it feels so, you know, just like you're ripping away everything that's comfortable at that time, that the blessings are to follow. And and then when you go through other difficult changes, you sort of have a reserve there from that faith gained to help you during those other difficult times. You know, just because our loss doesn't make the CNN news a ticker doesn't mean it's not a valuable loss. And and just because other people face this or other people face others, you know, God just does not line up our losses and put them in orders of greatest leases. You know, He doesn't set expiration dates on our mourning. He is just with us while we're going through the thing. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so glad you're here, and today we are talking about change. And you know, All of us face change, whether it's change that we expect or more often than not, it's change that's unexpected, things that happen in our lives that we don't anticipate and we don't really know are coming. And those changes often end up holding loss and transitions that are so very difficult to overcome. And that is a muddy place. It's mud that we tramp through and walk through. And some of us get super messy in the process. And that is why I am so very excited that we're going to be joined today by my sweet friend, Kristen Strong, who has released her very first book into the world this week entitled Girl Meets Change, Truths to Carry You Through Life's Transitions. And I just had a super sweet conversation with Kristen this last week, and I'm here to share it with you. And it blessed me. I hope it blesses you as well. Kristen is the mom to two twin boys who are 16 years old and one darling daughter named Faith. And she's married to David, who is a retired Air Force military person, and they reside together in Colorado. And Kristen is winsome and charming and warm and inviting. And I just think you're going to love her. She's a Oklahoma girl with a big country heart. And I am more than thrilled to share with you my conversation with her today all about change, loss, and transitions and how those things can be our next best thing. And so without further delay, here is my conversation with Kristen Strong. Enjoy. 
Hi, Kristen. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. This is so fun. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Jackie, darling. How are you? Oh, I'm doing so good. It was a great morning. Took the kids to school and got everybody settled. And we're settling into a new routine uh, with them reentering school instead of homeschooling. And so, you know, we're just loving that new little community we've discovered. So it's been great. And your, your people started school already, yes? Yes, they started forever ago. I mean, they started, their first day was August 4th. Oh, so they, wow. Yeah. So they've been, they've been at the, at the new routine for a while and we're never ready for it when it comes. We're always like wanting to hold on to the coattails of summer, but we do get out earlier in May. So then that's where we reap our rewards. Oh, that's <laughs> great. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about you and your family and where you live and what you love to do? Oh, sure. Well, um, I am married to David and he is a retired Air Force veteran. Um, We live in uh, Colorado Springs with our three children. We have uh, twin sons that are 16, uh, James and Ethan. And then we have our daughter, Faith, who is 12. And uh, we live in Colorado Springs because the military moved us here. Uh, We Our place where we're here was Hawaii. So we went from sea level tropical to you know, 7,000 feet above sea level, high desert. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a bit of a bit of a switch, but we're, we're enjoying it here. And, um, you know, thankful that we've been able to circle back actually with a lot of friends that we've met along the way that live here as well. So that's been real fun is to, um, you know, be able to connect with them more, more often. Now you're originally though from Oklahoma, is that right? Because I think we share a love for country music. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you can take the girl out of Oklahoma, but you cannot take Oklahoma out of the girl. That's what I, (laughs) I was born and raised there and lived in the same house, you know, from the time I was one years old until I went off to college and have lots of family still there. Pretty much most of my family is in Oklahoma. Some some are in Texas as well. But yeah, it'll always be near and dear to my heart. Mm, I love that. But I love that you live in Colorado Springs now too, because my nephew just entered the Air Force Academy there this summer. And so I've been kind of communicating with you and getting encouragement from you about that. And just, it's so inspiring what the Air Force is doing there. And he's having, I mean, he had a rough time at during boot camp for sure. It's challenging for oh, yeah. everybody, but um, just thriving there on that campus. And my brother and sister-in-law just visited for Parents Weekend. They had a fantastic time. That, oh. that chapel there is amazing. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our, I, you know, we went to the football game last weekend and I looked over at the sea of cadets, you know, they all, they all march in on the field and then they do this, um, and, you know, they march in, in their, um, particular flights. I don't even remember if they're called flights They're particular groups. <laughs> they march in and then they do this mass exodus and they just bolt to the stands and then they're all sitting there. So I did Aww. think to myself, Jackie's nephew is one of them over there. So, yes. but yeah, so that, I'm glad our city was good. Yeah. They're, they're having, they're so proud of him. We're all so proud of him. And so it's excellent. Well, I remember meeting you, I think it was three or four years ago at a conference called Relevant, which is now the Illum conference. And, you know, you're so special to me because you're one of those first people in my new blogging journey that welcomed me with big, warm smiles and hugs. And each conference I get to connect with you each year. And uh, it's just, I'm just so thankful for who you are and how you really radiate 
the love of Christ to even strangers that you don't even know. And so I'm just thrilled that you're here and that we can um, do this podcast together. Well, thank you. I remember that time too. And I remember we met up at the airport. I don't remember if we, I don't remember if we were on the same flight or if our flights just came in at the same time, but you stood out for me right away as being very warm and very approachable. And I think that completely comes through your podcast. So I, I just, I just am a fan of yours, Jackie. And it was just, uh, I think, divine intervention that we could cross paths that way. Love it. Well, I want to say congratulations to you as you are releasing your very first book this week entitled Girl Meets Change, Truths to Carry You Through Life's Transitions. And I really think it's a book that is going to help so many people navigate through change in their life and the unexpected circumstances that we face. That's certainly my goal. Yes. Well, in your book, you write, change isn't something to be feared or dreaded. It's just the next step, his next best thing for you. If something is happening that you never fathomed, then God is working out something unfathomably good for you and in you. And so I loved that. And I would love it if you would start today with us by sharing some of the change that you've experienced in your life, maybe growing up or as you were married or moving forward through life, because those change moments can be really muddy and we all face difficulty and change. And so it helps us to know that we're not alone. So if you don't mind, just share with us, what are some of the things that you faced? Yeah, well, you know, what always just stands out to me in terms of my earlier memories is just the contrast between my married life and my growing up life. You know, I grew up on O'Neill Lane, which is my maiden name. My maiden name is O'Neill. So it's <laughs> imagine this um, r- gravel road where everybody who lived on that road's last name was O'Neill. And so I grew up, and you know, it's not, it's funny, I didn't realize till later how unusual this is, but I grew up with, I mean, my playmates were my cousins. Um, mm. My grandma, I saw, I saw one grandma, uh, you know, every other day. And the other one I would see every weekend when we went into town for church, we'd always have, um, Sunday, Sunday dinner at her house. Um, but I grew up in a, in a very much a, an environment of warm, comfortable familiarity. And, you know, things were largely rather predictable. Um, you know, I could count on who would be at this birthday party or who I would see at church or who, you know, I could, you know, pl- just have a play date with when I was, you know, young. Um, so everything seemed very, from what I remember and the way, well, the way I remember it is everything just seemed very familiar. So I went to Oklahoma state and then, which was only that university is only an hour from where I grew up. So that's still not terribly far away. And I had a lot of high school friends that went to Oklahoma state too. So while that college is certainly a change in many ways, and in many ways it was also still familiar because I grew up, um, um, with a family that many of them graduated from Oklahoma state too, and were big cowboy fans and we still are, (laughs) but, but, um, going off to college, I met David and he had been in the air force went back to school. That's where I met him. And then was on the ROTC track to, to, um, begin active duty service in the air force again. So beating him then really kind of blew the doors off my, you know, um, my way of life. (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, we got married and then um, just within a few weeks moved to Ohio for our first assignment, which for me felt like was the moon, you know, totally different, even though I know that sounds crazy to most people. But um, that's one, definitely one big change that, that stands out to me as, you know, quite the contrast. So really, your familiarity growing up and everything being really stable and predictable, that that became contrasted against this new life as a married woman that you were going to enter into. Can you explain to us a little bit about how it wasn't so predictable and familiar to be a military wife? Right. Well, um, you know, it was, it took away the familiarity, not only in the physical sense, you know, moving Mm -hmm. from the environment that I knew so well and moving from the family members and the friends that I had in many ways, you know, grew up with. And it took me to a place where I was suddenly for the first time on my, for the first time in my life on my own a lot. Um, he would be traveling, have, of course, this was before 9-11, so there wasn't the deployments that you think of now that, right. that's synonymous with uh, military life. But him as an Air Force officer, they t- unless you're a pilot, which he is not, um, most of the Air Force are not pilots, um, just a very small percentage of them are, but they, they typically didn't um, deploy that much. But he was gone for traveling for, um, well, basically like business trips, different training, different classes he had to be at. So just sort of learning how to entertain myself and Mm. how to, and really just how to be by myself. That was a foreign concept to me. And definitely with that, learning how to get along by myself, you know, it, it made me have to kind of get out of my shell more and be more open to, you know, introducing myself to others and to, you know, taking initiation for everything from, you know, having lunch with somebody to finding out where's a good place to get your hair cut or what dentist is good, you know, things like that. So, so I, those are certainly some things that stand out from the early years. And yet that wasn't the only move, right? No, no. Um, and we moved, um, not as often as a lot of military moves, certainly, but we did move, I guess, through, through the different years. Once we were married, he moved a few times before me. He lived in England and then down in the South before he went back to school and met me. But then as a married couple, we moved, I think, five different times. And then we lit, we've lived, though, in more than one house in most of those places. So we've mm. changed addresses um, 10 or 11 times. So, wow. Um, yeah, so um, that's kind of the story there. <laughs> wow. Well, it, it, it must be hard to start new in new places. I know for anyone who, you know, moves unexpectedly or if they've planned it, it's still disconcerting to find all of those really practical things that are part of our everyday lives. Right, right. So I'm guessing that this change that you experienced, even in these everyday, you know, finding a new dentist, finding a new haircut thing, all of that physical stuff that changed was difficult, but there was also an internal work that was beginning to happen in your heart to help you see what was going on inside, because certainly this 
adversity, this change of going from a familiar place where you've always grown up in the same place with a family all around to being more isolated and alone and starting new with relationships and even all the other things that you need in a city, you know, that would only maybe be the beginning of the internal process that you would need to establish to be able to face the adversity that was to come. Yes. Well, I would say it definitely set the groundwork for um, me to have a much more blossoming faith. Um, It removed a lot of the distractions, Mm -hmm. I think, moving um, from a a huge family and a comfortable environment to a brand new one every few years. You know, it really strips away a lot of the distractions and a lot of the things you can sort of take, take up your time and then maybe take the focus away from, you know, developing your faith muscles a bit. And I know, you know, as I encountered other change um, that happened, not necessarily tied with the military, but, um, you know, with whether it's, you know, the infertility issues my husband and I had, or seeing our daughter through her broken neck injury and, you know, and things like that. I think for me, what God was working on when he had me pick up camp and move Mm -hmm. was to trust him that the blessings would come following it, even though it feels so, you know, just like you're ripping away everything that's comfortable at that time, that the blessings are to follow. And and then when you go through other difficult changes, you sort of have a reserve there from that faith gained to help you during those other difficult times. Right. And often whatever change or adversity that we're facing, we feel all alone in it. Yes, we feel absolutely alone. Yeah. And that is so hard. And I think part of that is because sometimes change really is another way of saying we're going through something hard or muddy because really you you write about this a little bit in the book about how We end up going through something that was unexpected that we realize only when it it happens to us, it brings up a expectation that we didn't even realize that we had of how life should have gone in our mind. And, And so then when this unexpected thing happens and we realize we're, we become frustrated and angry, we're like, well... Why are we feeling that way? And it's because we realized that we had an expectation that we didn't even realize we had. So not only are we processing through having the circumstance in actuality happening that's changed, but also we're grieving the loss of that expectation that we didn't even realize was there. And so I'm wondering if you can help us process how we can grieve unmet expectations because you know, there's a lot of people listening today who have had some crazy hard things come across their paths and they are facing situations that they never thought they would be facing. And so there's so much frustration and anger in the midst of it and feeling alone. How do we move our souls to not only grieve it, but move to a place where we can grow through it and thrive amidst that change instead of just becoming stagnant and bitter because we just hold on with closed fists to our frustration and our anger. Because, you know, we can close up and shut down. So I don't know in your experience and your different times of change and, you know, the infertility or going through faith's thing or whatever that that you really had to grieve some things. And it's a lot of internal work beyond the external circumstance. 
Absolutely. And I do think, though, that it's hard for a lot of us to just say that it's okay to grieve that. Definitely all change brings loss. Um, You know, with infertility, you know, during the, the waiting time for us, there was kind of the loss of getting to enjoy what so many friends and family members were getting to enjoy yeah. um, with our daughter's surgery. You know, she had to say goodbye to gymnastics. That was certainly a loss for her. So definitely all change brings loss. And I think, well, I think what we do most often is just rush past that grieving process and think, yes, well, I need, I just need to, you know, this is people face a lot worse. Look what's going on here. Look mm-hmm. what's going on there. Right. I need to just, pick myself up by my bootstraps and just turn a page and move on. And, and I don't think that is what God asks us to do. I think he's very respectful of our, of the time we need to grieve. And I think he has open arms and open ears to hear us to, and he welcomes us to come to him, to talk to him about, about our loss and about how we're really doing with it. He isn't scared off. If we say, I don't like that this has happened. Mm -hmm. I'm really struggling with this and I don't know what to do next about it. I think that honors him because it shows him that we trust him enough to believe our wounds and our hurts are safe in Mm -hmm. his presence. So I think that's one large thing. Um, if, um, a, a change brings a particularly acute loss or hurt to your front door. I think one thing is just to leave an open space for you to mourn the loss. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we can just sit there forever and never be a, begin to heal or, you know, just sort of massage right. those wounds. We have to, at, you know, at some point um, be able to allow the love of Christ to come in and be the balm that heals. But You know, I think another thing, I'm a big question person. So, you know, thinking of the time, the the years when my husband and I had um, fertility issues, um, and and it was really about, it was just under two years when we had it. So I know my husband's mother, um, my husband is adopted, his older sister's adopted, and then they had their younger child um, 12 years after they first (laughs) thought about having a family. So I know that even my infertility journey is, is small, you know, compared to what so many other people go through, but it was um, a journey still. And um, I know I was really big on asking myself all these questions. I drive myself crazy with them. Like, why can't I get pregnant? Doesn't God think I'd be a good mom too? And things like that until I realized I have to at some point, you know, because the answers to those questions always find me on the short end of the stick, you know? No, he doesn't think you'd be a good mom. So therefore, that's why you're not pregnant. Well, and you start seeing everybody. It's like there's pregnant women everywhere. Yes, yes <laughs> you know? they are everywhere. And even though that's not really the case, but when that is, a, you know, the spotlight of right. your life and what, what just what you hope to have, yes, you absolutely feel like there are pregnant people everywhere. <laughs> but I love that you're talking about naming it because I think it is, you know, we tend to suppress. I think what you're talking about is we stuff it down. We suppress the loss. We don't grieve it because we either don't know how to or it's too painful to admit or we just feel like we should marginalize it because there's other people suffering more. And I think, you know, I, I love that you're bringing that to light because we have to name it name the loss in order to face the loss and sit with the anxiety and discomfort of the pain before we can move forward. 
Yes, absolutely. And and just, you know, just because our loss doesn't make the CNN news ticker doesn't mean it's not a valuable loss. Right. And, and just because other people face this or other people face others, you know, God just does not line up our losses and put them in orders of right. greatest leases. You know, he doesn't set expiration dates on our morning. He is just with us while we're going through the thing. And so I think that if you are like me and have a tendency to ask those questions, you know, why can't I get pregnant? Why did I get laid off from work? Why did he divorce me? Whatever the changes that brought the acute loss, Mm -hmm. something that is helpful is not to just answer those in a way that doesn't, um, you know, make you the short, the short end of the stick, so to speak, but maybe to ask them differently. So instead of why didn't I get pregnant, I could ask myself, what else does God want to give me in this time? Mm. Um, instead of, you know, why did I get laid off from work? Perhaps it is, um, what better job does the Lord have for me down the road? Because the truth is, the truth is he is a good and gracious God and he is not sitting up there in a bad mood, drew your number and said, I'm going to pick on her today because I, because I can basically, you know, he does not, he wants to give us good things and he wants to give us more than that. Really. He wants to give us best things, Yeah. but the hard time, the hard part is just holding on to that when you're waiting for that. Yeah. And sometimes what we focus on during change really makes all the difference, which is what you're talking about. And um, we can focus on that fear or anxiety or discomfort and really ruminate on that. Or we can focus on what is right here in front of us, you know, namely God's goodness, his character, um, what we do have instead of, of what we wish we could have. And you talk about it a little bit like it's a windowless room right where we're sitting that seems not to have a lot of light. And would you share with us that story? I loved how you wrote about Corey Tinboom and her sister Betsy and how what they learned in the dormitory of their concentration camp can really help us all in our dark windowless situations. Oh, sure. I would love to. That is one of my favorite. Well, Corey Ten Boom is just one of my favorite heroines of the faith. Mm-hmm. But so um, Corey Ten Boom wrote a book called The Hiding Place where she details this story. So Corey's family, they, um, during World War II, they were part of the Dutch underground. They lived in the Netherlands and they were part of the Dutch underground that helped um, be a safe place for many Jews during the Holocaust. So during World, this was all in the backdrop of World War II, of course. Right. And so they were, they were the safe house, one or part of the Dutch underground. And uh, that is until somebody found out and turned them in. So basically she and her older sister, Betsy, were taken to, um, I think it was Ravensbrück concentration camp um, deep in the forest of, of Germany. And, you know, they endured quite a bit there. But part of what they endured is when they were moving to their permanent dormitories, you know, they walk in and immediately their senses are hit with, um, you know, um, rancid bedding, you know, over backed up plumbing, you know, so then they crawl up onto their beds and Corey immediately is, um, bit like she feels little pricks on her skin Mm -hmm. while they were fleas biting her and the entire bedding was just, um, 
riddled with fleas. And she just felt at the end of her rope. And so she was lamenting these fleas and just not sure how she and her sister and all the other women that were in that group could survive living in such an awful, awful place. And um, Betsy said, you know, there was a Bible passage we read earlier this week, the one from First Thessalonians chapter 5. What was that verse again, Corey? And she, as Corey said, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So Betsy urged Corey, and I should say too, they were, you know, they were mature women. They were in their, I think, 40s or 50s when this happened. But Betsy urged Corey um, to be thankful for everything. And Corey's like, listen, not even God is going to make me thankful for a flea. Forget it. <laughs> You know. Not to mention all the bites. <laughs> yes, all the bites. Would you be thankful for this? Hello? Uh, <laughs> Who could so be thankful hard. for this? Oh, my so, word. Yes, I, I, I can't even imagine. But Betsy continued to point her towards that portion of scripture, be thankful in all circumstances. And so Corey finally said, fine. And she thanked God for every flea in that flea infested room. Well, the story continues where, um, you know, they always wondered why they had so much freedom in that dormitory. They were able to hold, basically they held church in that dormitory. They sang hymns. They, um, one of the sisters had been able to smuggle in a Bible. So they had a Bible to read different passages, but they could never understand why they were given so much freedom when the other dormitories were not. Well, it turns out that the guards and whatnot knew it was flea infested. So they had no desire to even check on in there to, to check in the room to see what was <laughs> they going didn't on. want fleas. <laughs> they didn't want fleas. So those fleas indeed did turn into a huge blessing and a huge saving grace because they were able to hold church. And I mean, in that bleak, unimaginable environment, mm. they were able to hold um, church. And share Christ with others. And share Christ, yes. Uh, many women came to know Jesus through their encounter with um, Betsy and Corey. Hmm. I loved that story because then you wrote, what are the dark things in your life that bite the fleas in dark places? And how can they actually be the gift? And maybe by offering up your gratitude in all things, you are also showing how you trust God to use all things too. And just so good because our focus is so key. It's so pivotal when we are in the middle of grieving some unexpected thing or pain or suffering or something we never saw coming, you know? Yes, absolutely. And our friend Ann Voskamp really so beautifully has written in 1000 Gifts about this and making lists of what we are thankful for, even down to, you know, I can imagine if Corey Ten Boom would have read Ann's book, she would have been putting fleas on the list yes. for sure. I think, I think she would have probably put fleas on the list. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, through change and as we, you know, grieve our loss, we name it, grieve it, work on grieving it because that's a process. We focus on giving thanks for what we do have in the midst of it. It can be pretty lonely. Change can be lonely. And I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about how friendship and relationships can help us through the hardship of change. And what do we do if we don't really have a close friend? Well, I, uh, my heart goes out to those who feel, who are sitting in the middle of intense change and don't feel like they have that close friend. I have been there before and I know how difficult that is. So I just, I just want to say that if that's you, then I'm, I'm praying for you, um, just because I know Mm -hmm. what a hard time that is, you know, some, some practical ways we can do that. And, um, 
you know, I just don't want to sound like I'm saying, you know, you just need to get up and get out of there, you know, get out of wherever <laughs> you are, get out there and meet people. You know, it sounds like we're talking about right. dating. Although sometimes with friendship, you kind of feel like it kind of is, isn't it? it you know, it kind of is. It kind of is, which is scary and frightening and it's the risk of rejection. And, yes. you know, it's not like you can say, hey, you want to like you meet somebody at the school and go, hey, you want to go to Starbucks and have some coffee? And then you're like spilling all these deep, dark, grieving moments. I mean, it, yeah. you have to kind of build into relationship, yes. right? So that takes time. Yes, you absolutely. You don't just generally show up and then spill your heart. Exactly. You know, you have to kind of have the um, gift of time and trust with each other to be able to work up to that spot. And, and sometimes quite honestly, it feels like a lot of work, you know, like Mm -hmm. I just don't know if I have the energy for this. Um, Well, I'm sure you speak from experience because with all those new places you've moved, I mean, you had to start over a lot of times, right? Yes, yes, and and build a whole new friendship, a, a whole new local network. friendship base. Yeah. yeah, network in the process. Absolutely. Well, you know, some things I like to think about is the only way you will not make a good friend is if you never ever try. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's just the 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 difficult truth of it. So, for me, some things that I did along the way was I would either um well, I say either, I would probably kind of do a combination of two or three of these. Um show up, pray up, and open up. So, basically show up is I would just try to make myself available at places where I might meet other friends. You know, when I had younger kids, that might be the park. Um, actually I did make one good friend cause she and I kept showing up at the park at the same time every day. So you strike up a conversation and there you go. There you go. Um, yeah. And sometimes it looks like maybe not bolting from church the moment, you know, the, the service is over, but sticking around and just sort of sitting you know, in that awkward yes. space, right? <laughs> yes. It's, and it is a hundred kinds of awkward. I mean, there's just no getting around that. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's, I think maybe that's part of it is just saying it's going to be awkward. I'm ready for the awkward, you know, let's just do it. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, so, so that's another way. And then open up, I would open up my house and I have talked about this before in my blog, but I can think of two different occasions where I did open up my house. I um, made food, I invited people and not one person came over. So Ugh, I know that so is hard. I know isn't that the worst ever? And like, you did it not only once, you liked it twice. Yes. <laughs> at least this was over several, you know, over several years apart. But Ugh. you know, I can just tell you though that that is about the worst thing that can happen. Right. However, you survive it. <laughs> you make it through and you just try it again. So, you know, open up your house. Maybe, you know, if you're a younger mom out there, you invite a couple other younger moms over for an easy lunch where the kids can play, you know, or you, you know, ask if you could meet somebody for a Starbucks or for lunch, you know, you're just sort of putting yourself out there. And so that's kind of opening up. So opening up, you know, your house or just your heart to being, you know, receptive of asking others for their time, really. And the thing is about that, too, is, you know, you can ask and they might say no, or it may be, I mean, I've lived in places where, and I've tried to pursue friendships with people where it was obvious they had their friends set. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's not personal to me. It's, you know, we all only have so many hours in the day, so much time we can devote to relationships. So if they're, you know, if it's, they're not called to reach or to, um, you know, kind of meet me halfway on that, then it's just not meant to be. And, um, 
try, you know, we try elsewhere. But, and then my, my other thing is, um, pray up and just always remember that if, um, Jesus himself was often in community, then it is his desire for his daughters to be in community too. So if he wants you to have friends, he will do what is necessary to help you get them. Now that doesn't say that I've been in seasons before and I can think of one, I've been in several seasons where I didn't have too many local friends, but I can think of one in particular where it became very clear. I was not to have that season of friends or I was not to have, um, those friendships right away because he wanted my intention elsewhere. Mm. He, he needed to work out some things with Mm -hmm. me and in me. So he wanted that time and he wanted to remove those distractions so he could have that time. So, you know, there are times when that happens as well, but just know if you are one of those listening that doesn't have a whole lot of friends right now, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It doesn't mean, um, you know, you're faulty somehow. It just means that, that either God is looking for your attention elsewhere in that moment, or he is, you know, working on putting special women in your path for you to develop friendships with. Um, But I know he does not desire his daughters to be alone long-term. That's just not how he lived. So that's not how he would ask us to live. And yet in that waiting time, in that patient time, it's important to not give way to the self-doubt and the anger and the loathing. Because if we miss that time prior to cultivating friendships, we're going to miss that character growth that maybe is needed as a foundation to prepare for the relationships that are coming. Right. You know, and, um, and so let's talk a little bit about when we do have relationships and friendships established and we hit something unexpected that's painful, um, being changed primarily, how can those friendships and relationships help us through it? You know, what did that look like for you? What can that look like for us? Well, what I know from my own life and my own near and dear friendships is when a time of intense change comes into my life and, you know, I don't always have the words to express exactly how I'm feeling about it. Sometimes I am, I, I don't pray as often as I need to probably. I, my friends are become those prayer warrior warriors who step in and can be maybe what I'm struggling with being in that moment. They are able to give me a more accurate picture of myself as well. <laughs> you know, they can tend to see my um, situation with clearer eyes. And when I want to, um, assign blame to myself for something or blame to somebody else even for something Mm -hmm. that is, you know, contributing to this difficult change, they are able to look at me and go, you know, I think it's more like this. Now, of course, that takes having, you know, an honest heart and to know that your friendship, you know, is built on honesty, whether that's easy to hear sometimes what they're saying, or it's you know difficult to hear sometimes. But also when I think about my friendships, I think a lot about the friendship of Ruth and Naomi of the Old Testament, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Ruth, as the daughter-in-law, really wanted to be a good friend to mm-hmm. Naomi. And I think of Ruth with my own friendships. What did she do when Ruth and Naomi were facing such change, moving Ruth, leaving from her homeland to be with Naomi's people? Um, their husband, her, well, husbands had died. Right. Naomi had lost both her sons. So hard. So 
such a huge, I mean, unimaginable mm-hmm. uh, change there. Well, Ruth basically pledged to be stay with her no matter what. That was incredible, especially in that culture of that day, because typically they didn't go with in-laws. You know, the women didn't go off and relocate, <laughs> you know. And no. and Naomi even encouraged Ruth to stay. And she said, no, I'm going. Right. She said, I am going. And when she did that, you know, Naomi still had the choice. She could have still rejected Ruth, but right. she didn't. She opened her heart to that friendship. And I think that because they had each other during that difficult time of change, their burdens were greatly lifted. Their burdens in many ways were divided in half Mm -hmm. because they had each other carrying the burdens for each other. And I think that's how our friends help us thrive through change. You know, when one person's faith waffles as Naomi's did, you know, on the, when she was going back to her home, she had her name changed to Mara, which means bitter. I mean, she Mm -hmm. was just owning it. You talk about naming it, you know, like she was literally naming it right there. And yet Ruth sat with her in that. Ruth sat with her and her faith was emboldened. So she was able to help Naomi with that. And then when Ruth was out, um, getting grain for them to survive on, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Meeting meeting Obed, who would be her future husband, nervous about that encounter, nervous about how to proceed with that. Naomi is the one that gave her the strength and the wise counsel on how to proceed. And so I think that's just a beautiful picture of during times of change, how friendship can really just build up and encourage both both people. Well, and then how that change in their support of one another ended up bringing about Boaz and how then, you know, their grandson would be King David, who was the predecessor to Christ. And it's just a beautiful example of relationship and has a lot of parallels of what we can do for each other in the midst of hardship, because a lot of times it's not very helpful to tell the person your attitude is terrible. You have a bad perspective. You, you know, you're not handling this well. You know, those things are not helpful, <laughs> you know. And so I, I think in friendship and relationships, a lot of times it's just so valuable, like you said, having someone who can give us an accurate picture of ourselves in sort of a way like how God sees us and to really lead us to truth instead of preach at us with truth. Because when we're spoken at, it feels more adversarial, even if that's a relationship that has history and is um, grounded in love, it can feel more threatening and more bristly. Whereas Mm -hmm. if someone's sitting with us in it, and we know they have our back no matter what we're facing, Mm -hmm. that really is what we need, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And when you're speaking, when you're being spoken at like that, I like the way you phrase that. It's, I think it's often, that's easy to do when you want to be the one that's doing all the talking or doing at least a good portion Mm -hmm. of the talking. I think if you really think about listening, I think just sitting with somebody is just sitting and simply being with them. You know, when Jesus, when Jesus was in the garden about to face the cross the next day, all he asked was that his disciples just sit with him. He didn't ask for you know, stay awake. Yeah, and stay awake. Well, yes, that that was that too. Like, yeah, that didn't happen so much. 
But he didn't ask for a pep talk. He didn't ask right. for them to do anything, but just sit there and yes, ideally stay Be away. present. Yeah. Be, Be present. present. Exactly. Just the presence. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as Ruth and Naomi model, um, that that presence just goes a long way to help us during our difficult, our times of difficult change. Yeah. And, and I think part of being present too is not giving, not always giving advice unless it's asked, yes. you know, I exactly. think sometimes we can mean to be helpful. Um, I think Lisa Joe wrote a post about this recently about how Maybe somebody's sharing with us some adversity they're facing or some hardship or trial. And we we are well intended to say, oh, I get that. Me too. And listen to what happened to me. And then we go off on this tangent about ourselves. I know. Not it's- intending to discount what they're experiencing, but it really shuts the door in their face on maybe something else they wanted to share or just needed us to be with them in it. We sometimes need to stop talking about ourselves and just really listen or maybe just say, I'm sorry. Sometimes there's not something we need to offer as a solution or a fix it. They just need us. Absolutely. And it's funny how that sneaks. I mean, selfishness is sneaky. And I know. That- and that is just selfishness in a cute dress when when we do those things. And I, <laughs> I love that. And I am just as guilty as I am more guilty probably than a lot of folks um, of doing that. But yeah, listening and saying, even if you have, this has happened to you before, this is not the time to share it. (laughs) Right, right. And just asking for God to give us wisdom as we walk alongside people, because we need to be quick to hear and slow to speak for sure. Yes, yes. Well, as much as friendship can help us, you did talk a little bit about how God sometimes wants to be with us in our adversity and our mud and our and that can feel really intangible and elusive because he's not physically here. You know, we can't be embraced by him physically. We don't most of us don't hear him audibly, and it can sometimes feel like God is far away, even though we know that his word says he is with us at all times. And you write in your book One of the key times God is closest is during and after change. And if God is close to us amidst the change he brings to us, then he is working through it to bring out some positive change in us as well. That the change is not the end. God's goodness and grace are. And so as we close our conversation today, I'd love it if you would just talk about how you've experienced God bringing good in you through change, not really in the circumstances, but in your heart, and maybe what it means to us to say, to really mean and say, Christ is enough, and some tangible ways we can really absorb that he's enough, because it's so elusive and hard to grasp when we're in pain. Right, right. Well, you know, one thing that has probably been the biggest change in me is realizing that Jesus wants to spend time with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I am not a bother to him. I am not a burden to him. He really genuinely wants to spend time with me. So when I think about that, like having a sit down time, um, reading scripture or what have you, you know, sometimes it's easy for me to think that, you know, I am, I am there to only enjoy him, which of course I do. However, Jesus wants to be able to enjoy it, to enjoy us as well and to meet mm-hmm. with us. And as I've come to have a new view of change because of the fact that my heart is at home in Jesus, I can 
meet with him and just continually be fed by the fact that even this change that I'm going through is for me and it's not against me. Right. Absolutely. Um, I can think of, um, you know, we saw something very powerful in my daughter when she had to give up gymnastics, um, which she adored. Now, she wasn't a competitive gymnast or anything, but she just adored gymnastics. The change we saw in her, the, the, the faith that she was able to grasp onto and really learn that, you know, just because Jesus closes this door doesn't mean there's not a better one for you open down there. Right. You know, that is... One you may not have found had the other one not closed. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. exa- that's absolutely correct. So I think just resting in that and resting in, um, you know, the fact that a lot of change in this world is God made. We have the seasons, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the earth itself, <laughs> it uh, tilts at an angle, which gives us these different seasons. So I think sometimes the best way to just be able to accept the change in our lives and to see it from a more um, godly perspective is to just be able to lean into it and to just quit fighting it. And even though in during the hard times, it's okay to say, I don't like this. However, I still believe that I'm not going through this for nothing. Like for my daughter, you know, it's hard to say, thank you, God, for this broken bone. But it Mm -hmm. is easy to say, thank you, God, that this broken bone is not going to waste. And then it's not for nothing that I'm not enduring this for nothing. Right. And it just does something to settle my heart and soul in a more peaceful, peaceful place. Yeah. And having a posture of surrender to whatever it is that God gives, you know. um, Yes. I want to end with this quote from your book because I think it summarizes your message and really the encouragement that you and I both desire to give to you who are listening today, because, you know, maybe you're having some devastating change that's happening in your life. Maybe there's been a diagnosis. Maybe there's some brokenness in relationships. Maybe there's financial crisis. You know, whatever it is, Kristen and I know that change in life is inevitable and how we can cling to God through change will help us to see his goodness more clearly. And so you write in your book, when the odds look tall against me and my limitations seem especially foreboding, God is not idle. That just encouraged me so much. I don't need to resent the weight. I need to hold on to the belief that what I see around me may look slow to move, but in it, God moves in perfect time. I want to remember the waiting time as a time to wonder how God is going to move on my behalf, weaving the good and bad circumstances of my life into hope-filled beauty. Change is just God's next step to my next best thing. And Mm -hmm. I, I love that. It just you know, there's change in, in my family, in my life right now. And, you know, it's not the most devastating change I've ever been through. But, you know, I think this message that has been on your heart that you've been faithful to write into a book is really a message that we need to always be mindful of and keep first and foremost in our mind that whatever adversity that comes, whatever mud we're tramping through, God is giving it 
for a purpose. And if we choose to surrender to his goodness and his love in it, it really is him leading us into the next best thing. Even if the mud has been created by our own choices, God can do redemptive and redeeming work through anything. And so thank you so much for being faithful to write this, Kristen. I'm so excited that the world gets to read it. Oh, thank you for having me, Jackie. I just adore you, and I just appreciate you chatting with me today. Loved it. Where can everybody find you online so they can track you down? Oh, sure. Because <laughs> I know um, you've written some ebooks as well. It's not just this book. I mean, this is the first book book, but um, there's other yeah. resources for people. So if you can just tell us where they can go. Well, you can either go to kristenstrong.com or my blog name is Chasing Blue Skies. So you can also go to chasingblueskies.net and you can find me there. Um, my favorite social media um, tool is probably Instagram. And there I am at Kristen Strong. And yes, I did write an ebook for military wives also that can be found on Amazon. And it's also available for download on my blog. Um, but it is called Serving You 31 Days of Encouragement for the Military Wife. Um, so that's out there. And I've actually been told that that was a good read for folks that aren't military, but, but who have jobs or yeah. life circumstances that bring them in frequent um, transitions. So um, there's, there's that as well. Um, you can find out more about the book. Uh, Girl Meets Change at girlmeetschange.com. And um, we will be having um, a couple of neat things, really. We have on that girlmeetschange.com site, you can take a quiz to see how comfortable or un comfortable you are with change, um, how much of a friend or an enemy it is to you. And then we also have a small group companion guide that goes with the book that if you purchase the book this week and then on down through the month, you can receive that companion guide for free. So um, that's all available at thegirlmeetschange.com. Love that. Thank you so much. You all track her down. You're not going to be sorry. You're going to love her vibrant, warm, giving personality. And again, so thankful you were here, Kristen. I hope it's an amazing release week and really year as people dive into your sweet message, encouraging us through our change. Thank you for having me, Jackie. Okay. Have an amazing day. You too, hun. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's all for this episode. I'm so very thankful that Kristen joined us and really for the message that she's written in her book. And I hope that it'll help some of you, whatever it is that you're facing, if it's change. I know Kristen has some lovely words for you. And I hope you'll take advantage of some of those things that she was offering. All the links to everything mentioned in this episode will, of course, be able to be found at the show notes page. You can go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 59 and find all the links there. And I have gathered some quotes from this interview and also from Kristen's book and put them into a free PDF for you. And so if you'd like to receive that for free, you can just text the word episode 59 with no spaces to the number 33444. And that will be delivered to your inbox directly just from me to you. And I hope it blesses you. And I know Kristen's desire is to see you not only be empowered through change, but to embrace and thrive in change, no matter what it is that you're facing. And so I just want to say from me to you today, thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up each and every week to hear these mud stories. And I'd love nothing more than to hear from you. And so I 
am going to be giving away a copy of Kristen's book, Girl Meets Change. And to win the copy of the book, all you have to do is go over to iTunes and leave a rating or review. I want to hear your feedback about the podcast. I want you to just type one sentence, a paragraph, whatever it is you want to put, and then send me an email that you did it, and I will pick one random winner, and I will next week mail you a copy of Kristen's book, Girl Meets Change. And so I can't wait to see who I'm going to connect with. The last time we did a giveaway, I got to meet three or four of you, uh, one of whom is going to be coming on the show to share her story. And so uh, that's the thing about podcasting. I'm having a conversation with you each week, but I want to hear from you. I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear your ideas and I want to hear your stories. And so head on over to iTunes. You can get there on your app on your phone or you can go to jackiewatkins.com forward slash iTunes. You can search Mud Stories on your you know, Apple device, whatever it is. And yeah, all you have to do is log in and leave a sentence or more, whatever you want to write. And I will look forward to reading those this week. And I can't wait to hear from you. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. Again, you can get a free a downloadable audiobook today if you go to mudstoriesbook.com. Don't forget about that. And I will plan to meet you here next week. We're going to talk next week about church pain and anguish. I have Lisa Allen joining us from Proverbs 31 Ministries. And I love all that she's shared and where she's been. If you know of someone who has been hurt by the church, who has had maybe a negative experience or a painful wounding one, I want you to know next week we're going to be talking about that. And I know you're going to love what Lisa has to share and be greatly encouraged by her heart on the matter. And so until then, I can't wait to meet with you again next time. And until then, no matter what you're facing today, no matter where you've been or what lies ahead, may you join me in finding a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. Never in you ever feels a press upon my mind I pull a shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never in you, mother, feels a press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me
song 